<laughs> get all my goodies together. Um, how are you, ladies? Yeah, good morning, good morning, good morning. Um, I did this on Monday night, and I, I figured I might as well do it again. Wow, my phone doesn't want to work with me. Okay. Um, in homeschool, when we teach a new concept, this is the sign for we get it, kind of get it, don't get it. And so we want to take a heart check right now and see how you ladies are doing. So if you had to say, I'm doing great, thumbs up. If you're okay, sideways and not so good, thumbs down. So can you show me how you are so I can just get a read on the room? That's fun. Okay, different, different than Monday. <laughs> That's interesting. Well, then, since it's different, I will share this on, Mon- or on Monday, and I'll just have to say I'm so thankful for do-overs. I'm so glad there's a second chance to reteach. <laughs> um, but Monday, well, really, like weeks have been difficult, but Monday in particular, I was just having a hard time, and I just, all I could do is just lay my head on my desk and put my head on my Bible, right, when you just need Jesus. And I just started to, like, take it in and, like, cuddle my Bible and touch the pages. And when I was doing that, um, I told Monday night that I could smell my Bible. My Bible is at least 30 years old. It's, I've had it since I was 10. Um, and then I was telling the gals on Monday that as I was taking that in, sorry, I'm getting feedback, um, that I started to wonder what Jesus smells like. And just that realization that one day I'm going to smell him, I'm going to take him in. And then we started discussing, like, maybe he has a cologne on Monday night. And someone said, like, so we were talking about names, like Holy of Holies or Love. And someone said Scent of Heaven. And I was like, that's so perfect. (laughs) You know? So it was fun. Um, okay, so we wanted to do a heart check, and I also wanted to tell you gals, like, good job. We're proud of you. We know that Romans is a difficult book. It's difficult to teach. It's difficult to read sometimes, but it's so rich, and we're nearing the end, and you've made it this far, so hats off. Way to persevere through the Word of God. Um, okay, enough with the niceties. So we are going to start with something different this morning. Um, I have a small fun treat. We have a clip of my house. It's 10 seconds, and we're going to start with that, when, and we'll see if it works. Um, yeah. All right. Random video of my kids jumping on the couch. Yes. What does it have to do with the Bible study? Okay, we're going to get into that. Um, but here's how. Because right now, you've just watched the random... And I know the moms are laughing because you're like, you know. You know. You're with me. <laughs> so, but here's what I want you gals to do while it's still fresh. I want you to assess how you just individually judged that scene. So, for instance... I love the laugh. That's awesome. Some of you, reaction one could be like, that was crazy. That's awesome. They're having fun. It's great. Good childhood. Super, super fun freedom, childhood, whatever. Okay. Reaction number two is complete opposite. Like you're looking at like that and saying, you know, that's just not orderly behavior. Um, You're horrified. Why are they jumping? Or three, something totally different and totally random. And like, 
you don't know what to think about what you just saw. You're not even focused on the kids. You're looking at my furniture or my walls or something else. And it's just not the point. But here's what I'm trying to say by that. The point of the video was to illustrate that we all make different judgment values on what we see. Some of you value fun. You value experience and enjoyment, you know, over like your couch. Okay. All right. Number two, maybe you, your value priority is uh, respect and order, right? That's the value you, you, you have for that. Or finally, reaction three, like you have none of those reactions, something totally different, and you don't know what to make of it. And experiment fail, Mer, I don't know why you brought that to us. But here's my point. Depending on different factors like your personality, right, your upbringing, the culture you grew up, what was modeled for you as important, not important, um, you make judgments, values differently. Neither reaction that you have, whether I mention it or not, was wrong. That's the point. It's not wrong, it's just different. So we can see the same thing and we can judge it wildly differently. Which brings us, interestingly, to our text today in Romans 1. I'm going to read verse 1 for you. And it says, Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. So, before we start to break down our text, I want to ask or really give you kind of like a basic definition for that word judgment. When I go and I look it up just in general, online that the online definition is judgment is the ability to make considered decisions or come to sensible conclusions. That is the wisdom of the internet. Okay. Um, I like it actually. So we'll start with there. We'll start there. And then I've included two instances of many of the word judgment in the Bible. And by the way, does everyone have a study guide? I didn't even ask. So rude. Do you need a study guide? Okay, we have one need, two needs, three. Um, I'm going to... I do not. Let's see. We will get those to you. Oh, Amber's on it. Thank you. And then um, she'll come back in, then I'll have you gals raise your hand. Don't worry, I haven't gotten to a point yet. So, in fact, I'll just filibuster for a little bit. On the back of your study guide, there is a um, scripture reference. So, all the scriptures that I'm going to share with you are on the back. So, you, and they're in order from how I'm going to share them. So, that's all the filibustering I have. And we'll just, when she comes in, we'll raise our hand. So, judgment. What is it again? The ability to make considered decisions or come to sensible conclusions. Uh, two biblical instances with the word judgment. Psalm 119.30 says, I have chosen the way of truth. Your judgments. Okay, raise your hand, ladies, if you need, and keep them high, because she's just going to circle the room, and there's only uh, one of her, okay? All right. All right, thank you, Amber. I'm going to keep going. Um, I have chosen the way of truth. Your judgments I have laid before me. Psalm 119. Also, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Okay, got a couple more. So in these brief examples, we see that the word judgment means law, command, ordinances, precepts. And all the word judgment 
actually has several usages and applications in the Bible, we are going to take a particularly closer look at the the word judgment used in the book of Romans. In fact, we have five different Greek words for the word judgment. Some form or variation for judgment is actually used 21 times in the entire book of Romans. But in our chapter, chapter 14, we see 13 of those times. 13 of 21 are used in our chapter. So why am I telling you this? As I told Monday night, I got new Bible software for my birthday. And I was jazzed about using it. I don't have it all figured out. It's, I'm not technical. But I tried it and I got some good information. So that's why you're getting all the texts right now. Text specs. Um, but seriously, it's because judgment is a major theme. Right? It's the major theme of our passage this week. Judgment in general can be a very tricky thing. The very word makes some of us squirm, right? So it's viewed in a bad light with bad connotations. It can be a sticky subject, even a little dicey. But our text today has a lot to offer on the subject. And I am confident that the Lord does have something he wants to share. Even if I didn't like my study until this morning. Um, I wrestled with it, you know. Whatever, the Lord knows. So with that, let's settle our hearts and let's pray. Lord, as we've prayed before, God, we invite you into this place, Lord. You are already here. And God, we've asked to just hear your voice and ask for you to make clear those things that you have for us. Bless the remainder of our time. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so allow me, I'm going to reread verse one, but we're going to reread it in a different translation called the Passion Translation. Um, just to kind of spice things up a little bit. We need a little fun with Romans. So verse one in the Passion Translation. So offer an open hand of fellowship and welcome every true believer, even though their faith may be weak and immature, and refuse to engage in debates with them concerning nothing more than opinions. Okay, so what can we glean so far? Paul's exhortation is for us to welcome and offer an open hand of fellowship. To whom? every true believer. What's the mitigating factor? Weak and immature faith. Problem? Infighting over disputable matters and opinions. So this naturally begs the question, what was all the drama about in the first place? What are they disputing over? What's the opinion? So we're going to find out. And I'm going to continue reading through verse 12, just to give us a, a chunk in the Passion Translation. So if that's weird to like toggle between what I'm saying, because it's definitely kind of a different translation, feel free to just listen. Or if you can, you know, do both, follow along in yours, whatever you're comfortable with. So I'll be reading in the Passion Translation. Verse 2. For example, one believer has no problem with eating all kinds of food, but another with weaker faith will only eat vegetables. The one who eats freely shouldn't judge and look down on the one who eats only vegetables. And the vegetarian must not judge and look down on the one who eats everything. Remember, God has welcomed him and taken him as his partner. Why do you think you are to sit in judgment of someone else's household servant? His own master is the one to evaluate whether he succeeds or fails. And God's servants will succeed, for God's power supports them and enables them to stand. In the same way, one person regards a certain day as more sacred than another and another person regards them all alike. There is nothing wrong with having different personal convictions about such matters. For the person who observes one day as especially sacred 
does it to honor the Lord. And the same is true regarding what a person eats. The one who eats everything eats to honor the Lord because he gives thanks to God. And the one who has a special diet does it to honor the Lord. And he also gives thanks to God. No one lives to himself and no one dies to himself. While we live, we must live for our master, and in death, we must bring honor to him. So dead or alive, we belong to our master. For this very reason, the anointed one died and was brought back to life again, so that he would become the Lord over both the dead and the living. Why do you, why do you judge your brother or sister because of their diet, despising them for what they eat or don't eat? For each will have our For we will each have our turn to stand before God's judgment seat. As it is written, as surely as I am the living God, I tell you, every knee will bow, praise God, before me, and every tongue will confess the truth and glorify me. Therefore, each one must answer for himself and give a personal account of his own life before God. Okay, so in short, we find that these disputable matters included the topics of diet and holy days. But why were they considered disputable? As your homework explains, the meat in the Roman marketplaces came from pagan temples, where a portion was offered to the gods and the rest was sold. Some Gentiles felt that they couldn't eat the meat in good conscience, while others had no problem consuming it. In regards to special days, some Gentiles didn't observe the Sabbath regulations as rigorously as their Jewish counterparts. So in an attempt to make this a little more culturally relevant, I'm going to list a few hot topics and matters of consciousness that we face today as Christians. Um, So for example, can Christians get, you know, body piercings, right? Uh, Tattoos, drink alcohol, smoke. And then I will have um, our media gals put another example behind me. Um, What about makeup? You know, there's there's Christians out there who believe that you shouldn't wear makeup. Well, how about pants? Okay, we've got the pants. We have the pants. I'm in violation. I should go home, right? Could a Christian do yoga? That's another popular one. Okay, what about like secular music, certain TV shows or movies? And maybe recently, what about vaccinations? I mean, that's all over the place. Do I get vaccinated? Do my kids get vaccinated? Do I wear a mask? Do I not wear a mask? I mean, we could just sit here and talk about a ton of them. Um, But if you're here expecting me to answer all those hot topics, let me disappoint you now. Ain't going to happen. I'm not doing that, girlfriend. I am not getting in the hot seat. No. So disputable matters are usually disputable for a reason, right? They're usually gray issues, and they tend to be issues, um, as your homework says, that aren't, like, aren't really explicitly commanded, and they're not necessarily prohibited either. So they usually come down to a matter of perspective, and what measure of Christian liberty is or is not being applied as maybe morally right or wrong. So why did we do this mini-experiment? with the little video. Why did we do that? It was because we were trying to illustrate rather simplistically how differently we all judge the same scenario. Not wrong, just different. It's not that you don't order, like value order, but maybe you value it more or less than something else. You know, we, we rank our values, I think. So Romans 14 is rather similar to that. 
It's a roadmap on how to navigate and maintain unity with believers in the midst of having some, some freedom, some diversity. So we're going to do that. We're going to travel down that road a little bit practically. So when it comes to personal convictions, we want to examine how they're formed and how they function in our spheres of influence. This brings us to point number one on your study guide. We all need to exhibit some spiritual self-awareness. So your fill-in is exhibit self-awareness. All right. So as believers, there will always be somebody more and somebody less mature than you are. Therefore, we need to know our audience. We need to be able to gauge their maturity and adjust topics accordingly. Remember, we're talking with believers right here. So discussion is one thing, okay? We need discipleship. We need mentoring like Titus 2. Titus 2.5, right? We need that correction. But quarreling is another. Notice that Paul says, do not quarrel over opinions instead of do not have an opinion. We're not saying don't have an opinion. We're just saying we don't need to quarrel over some of them, amen? Some of the non-important ones. So this brings us to point number two. Examine the basis of your own personal convictions. Examine the basis for your own personal convictions. In verse 5, Paul says, Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. And I've given that verse in the New King James translation because I like how it says fully convinced. So why do you believe? Why do you believe what you believe? What is the basis for your truth? Is it your parents? Is it your friends? Is it like a supermodel or someone on TV that you're idolizing? Um, Is it Facebook? As Paul says, are you fully convinced in your own mind? Or do you hold these convictions because so-and-so does? Or because it's the way that you've always done things? As he thinks within himself, so he is, warns Proverbs 23, 17. So may I ask... And I'm hoping the Holy Spirit's bringing things to your mind right now. Is that conviction biblical? Is it founded upon his precepts, his spiritual wisdom? Or is it upon the earthly wisdom that James mentions? Remember, it's the judgments of the Lord that are true and righteous altogether. Many have tried to turn black and white issues into gray. Why? to suit their own agendas and their own desires, their own pursuits. Missionary dating, among other things, is a good example of this. When confronted with the clear truth of 2 Corinthians Corinthians 6.14, to not be yoked together with an unbeliever, I had somebody once told me that that statement was a matter of my interpretation of Scripture. So I said, okay, great. Let's get out of commentary or two, or three. And my point was to illustrate, this is, this, is not a black, this is not a gray issue, it's black and white. If you're not going to take the Bible, do you want, do you want to look at the commentaries and see? Because it's not just my opinion here. This is a black and white issue. This is not a gray issue. And the conversation just abruptly ended, and it was horrible. So sad. And it didn't go well for that person. It led to other things and other things. So 
Are you fully convinced in your mind about what you believe? Or are you following in your own or someone else's footsteps, influence, and standard without legit analysis for it? I really enjoy how Paul said something similar to the Galatians in chapter 6, verse 4. He said, each one should test his own actions. (coughs) Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to someone else. So, so far, we've discussed having some spiritual self-awareness among young believers. And we've questioned the source, the foundation for our particular convictions. Which brings us to point number three on your study guide. Question the motive of your own personal convictions. Question the motive of your own personal convictions. See, ladies, it's not just what you believe, but it's why you believe it. Paul does an excellent job of pointing out the heart behind the reason that these believers in Rome had opposite opinions and positions on things like eating meat and holy days. In verse 6, it says, For the person who observes one day as especially sacred does it to what? To honor the Lord. And the same is true regarding what a person eats. The one who eats everything eats to honor the Lord. So underneath those convictions that we have, there should be that heart, that motivation to honor the Lord. That's point number four in your study guide. There should be a heart to honor the Lord. Can we say, honestly, genuinely, in the privacy of our own relationship with the Lord here, are we pleasing God with that personal conviction? Is his pleasure, is it his glory, is his honor really the foundation for that strong conviction that we possess? Or do we use his name and just parts of scripture to claim liberty in Christ as an excuse, a cover, a justification of sorts? Tragically, we can take that liberty, girlfriend, we can turn it into liberalism. You see it work its way through a group of friends, right? You watch it trickle down to younger believers. They watch us, don't they? Just like our kids watch us. And you watch it stumble the less mature while others claim, I've seen it. This is my right. This is my allowance. This is my liberty. And I see him do it openly. It's not even like hidden. It's just openly boldly, without shame, remorse, or consideration for the younger believer that's right there. Paul makes uncomfortably clear in verse 15 that it's no longer love that rules our conduct. So can we truly say we are honoring the Lord here? Perhaps that conviction, it's permissible, right? But is it beneficial? And if so, for whom? Maybe it's not the outright flaunting of Christian liberty, but the smudging, right, of those boundary lines between personal convictions and sin. As I've witnessed, the question usually comes, how close can I get to the line before I cross over into the realm of sin? How many drinks can I have before I'm drunk? How far can I go 
before I'm engaging in sexual immorality. And we can keep going. We can keep going. So again, I ask, are my personal convictions really about honoring the Lord? Or am I using them as license to live on the edge? 1 Peter 2.16 convictingly states, Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as what it says? Servants of God. May the Holy Spirit discern our hearts and our motivations. Point number five. So if liberty in Christ, and I'm using that term loosely today, so if liberty in Christ can lead to that unhealthy liberalism, then liberty in Christ can also lead to legalism. So liberalism and legalism are your fill-in-the-blanks. Okay, so we can just as easily swing to the other side. Instead of honoring the Lord with our personal convictions, perhaps we're honoring ourselves with our self-righteous opinions. Paul lays out the argument for this extremity in verses 20 and 22. And I want to string those together. I'm going to just read those together uh, for effect. Stop ruining the work of God by insisting on your own opinions about food. Keep the convictions you have about these matters between yourself and God. And don't impose them upon others. You'll be happy when you don't judge yourself in doing what your conscience approves. So when it comes to controversial matters of Christian liberty, our convictions, they need a little room to breathe. Okay, Our voice isn't necessarily his voice. Our belief isn't necessarily the right direction for someone else's situation. Our conviction isn't always the final say or the end all. So plainly put, we can all easily fall into honoring ourselves, our ideas, our stances, as if we're the one standard bearer for truth. We can mean well, but ladies, we can slip into pride just like that. Additionally, when we impose ourselves upon others, especially with like those non-essential matters of faith, we become critical, condemning, stumbling to younger believers. I think it's raining. I love it. Lord, refresh us with your word. Paul states clearly in verse 13, so stop being critical and condemning of, um, of other believers, but instead... Determined to never deliberately cause a brother or a sister to stumble and fall because of your actions. So like some of you here, I've been at the brunt end of that unnecessary criticism over spiritually trivial matters. Oh man, we could talk right there about that for a while. I feel like I had to walk around eggshells, right? Around that particular older sister. Why? Because I felt like I was just going to disappoint her again and again and again. And it was just like, uh. And what I would do is I would just, right? I would just do this. Okay, thank you. And it didn't promote fellowship. It made me just want to avoid her. And I'm not, you know, I mean, it's not, and I'm not saying there wasn't like, okay, confrontation's good and we need to sift that. Um, But when it happens over and over again, especially in a short period of time, it gets a little overbearing, right? I think sometimes our kids feel like that. Anyway, so I learned to avoid her, and her critical spirit, her overt opinions were just as much of a stumbling block to me 
as the other side of the abuse of Christian liberty. There's just as much of a stumbling block. So if you find yourself in that scenario, or maybe you might at some point uh, in the near future, I hope you don't. But if you do and you just keep taking the heat and it's just unnecessary stuff, it's, I'm not talking like you know sin and correction, I'm talking about unnecessary stuff, then take to heart 2 Corinthians 3.17. It's a beautiful scripture. And it says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is what, ladies? There's liberty, there's freedom, depending on your translation. There's liberty there. Remember that God looks at the heart, but man looks at the outward appearance. God knows, he sees, he weighs and judges it rightly. So when I, oh, say, new thought, sorry. So I realize that we are not here always just like wrongly motivated or just trying to like intentionally stumble others. I know that's not always the motivation here. So certainly, I have overestimated the maturity of another sister in the Lord before, for sure. And I know that my liberty has caused people to stumble. I've seen the confusion. I've seen the discouragement and seriously, the gossip that it can create when it gets back to you. You're like, say what? You know, how did that happen? Um, But we're not always privy, right? We don't always see their past, their story their struggles, those touch points, their current temptations. We don't have like some full knowledge of their whole history. So it's very plausible that prior pain, bad associations, maybe they struggle with legalism, uh, one's upbringing, those things can be at, at the heart of why certain things are stumbling blocks to them and maybe not for you. Uh, so we're not mind readers. And that's why Paul says to never deliberately Keyword deliberately cause a brother or sister to stumble because of our actions. Right? So this morning so far, we have spent a lot of our time distinguishing the what and the why of these personal convictions. And I think that is good for us. I think there's merit to look at it and assess it personally. But I also feel like that we've been sort of dancing around Paul's main point of the message. In verse 21, Paul writes, Consider it an act of love to refrain from eating meat (coughs) or drinking wine or doing anything else that would cause a fellow believer to be offended or tempted to be weakened in his faith. See, it's less about what personal conviction you have um, or that you subscribe to, you do or you don't subscribe to. It's less about that Christian liberty and the opinion, those disputable matters. And what it's really about is our brothers and sisters in the Lord. Romans 14 is about loving. It's about loving believers well, and it's about loving them rightly. That is point number six, your last point on your study guide. Romans 14 is about loving believers well and loving them rightly, which I'm going to save some of that because Denise has an awesome passage next week that will talk more about that. But for our purposes, Romans 14 is about loving. It's about maintaining godly, not just unity, Right? We don't want a peace, peace when there is no peace. It's about godly unity with diversity. But when our Christian liberties are challenged or our, spirit, our personal opinions aren't shared by a less mature believer, we can be tempted to wrongfully weigh, wrongfully condemn, and sometimes even fall into hatred of other believers. And haven't we all got a taste of that with the recent political climate? Right? And I'm not talking about unbelievers. I'm talking about Christians. I'm talking about, you know, the condemnation of one Christian against another. I've witnessed, I've seen it. 
Christian families, I'm sure you have too, they fracture and they break fellowship because some have preferred discord. They've harbored anger and they've elevated worldly philosophies and a political party over the word of God and over love for the brethren. And it's a cesspool of division and it blares on social media and it breaks the heart of God and his people. And John said, Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves, and that's the point, ladies, whoever loves his brother lives in the light. That doesn't mean you're going to agree on everything, right? But we're living in the light here. And there's nothing in him to make him stumble. It's easy to shut off. It's easy to want to retreat from all this. We're in it. We're definitely in it in a heightened way right now. And listen, there's room for that, okay? I've had to temporarily, temporarily here, snooze people on Facebook. It means you don't see their posts for 30 days. That's what that means. Yeah, you can do that. If that liberates some of you, praise the Lord. All right? You can do that. You just snooze people for 30 days and you don't see their posts. You can, they're still friends, but they don't see, yeah, you look at me all weird, aren't you? You can do that. <laughs> Let it be a tool of freedom, let me tell of freedom, but I've had to do that just to protect my heart from becoming hardened, right, and subjected to just continual discord, dressed up as moral superiority. Listen, we all need those relational cool-offs, that separation at times. That can be healthy. That can be wise. Boundaries are beneficial. Self-control is prudent. But what I'm talking about here isn't the temporary. I'm not talking that. I'm talking about the, the condemnation. I'm talking off the, the casting off. That's the danger. And if we're honest, ladies, can we just keep it real? It's the temptation, right? It's so much easier to just cut ties. It's the inability to recognize that genuine disagreement or difference. It doesn't have to equal disrespect. It is possible to disagree respectfully. Remember that Paul said in our opening verse not to quarrel over disputable matters. We can major on the majors and we can minor on the minors if we choose to. And if we're commanded in Galatians 5.14 to love our neighbors as ourselves, then how much more to those to whom belong the body of Christ? How much more to our brothers and sisters to love them even more? But notice the stern warning that comes right after Galatians 5.14. It says, if you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. And that's talking to Christians. It was written to believers. And that warning, it echoes for us once again the heart of Romans 14, to not quarrel. Instead, we're given the infamous exhortation in Galatians to what? Walk in the Spirit. So we don't, what? Fulfill the deeds of the flesh. Gratify the the sinful nature. And it's a choice. And it can be a very difficult one. Because if we're going to be honest, and that's what I want for us, I want us to be real with the Lord and our our hearts. We don't want to deceive our hearts. It's wicked. We want to walk on our flesh. Don't we? We sure do. We want to call, we want to condemn that believer and we want to call it correction. And we can all certainly testify that it takes way more maturity 
to not defend our opinions vigorously. It takes way more maturity to extend grace and demonstrate meekness, to allow mercy to triumph over judgment. Lest we forget, according to verse 4 of our text, that's before our own master that we stand, knowing that one day we're going to give an account, right? We're saved. We're not going anywhere when we trust in Jesus, but this is of our, of our, of our fruit, right? It's, it's that, that sifting. It's the weighing of our actions. We give an account to the Lord. So it goes both ways for them and for us. So Paul brings these truths into greater perspective for us in verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of rules about food and drink, but is in the realm of the Holy Spirit, filled with righteousness, peace, and joy. Serving the anointed one by walking in these kingdom realities pleases God and earns the respect of others. So then, make it your top priority to live a life of peace with harmony in your relationships, eagerly seeking to strengthen and encourage one another. So as we close our time today, I really don't want you gals to walk out of here thinking that you need to walk on eggshells. That's not my intent. I don't want you to think, oh, oh, I better not do this, I better not say that. That is not the heart of my message. We still need to make judgments, right? Just the right kind. To be clear, Paul is addressing a believer's personal convictions. He's not addressing major doctrinal issues like salvation, the Trinity, etc., etc., marriage. Um, he's not addressing major areas of sin, correction, and accountability. Those things, they require judgment. Not necessarily condemnation, they require judgment. And we still have to, to walk in that. I had a judge today, am I going to wear flip-flops or sandals? It's going to rain. Do I want to have my hair up or down? Do I want to wear a fun coat? Which color? Do I want to wear a necklace? I decided to pass on that. I didn't want to cling with my other stuff. Click, cling, click, cling, or earrings, because it just it, it messes. So I had to make judgments, and I'm being silly about it, but we still make judgments. There's a difference between that, right? In fact, John 4, uh, 7, 24 tells us to make right judgments. Friction occurs when iron sharpens iron. Correction is different than condemnation. And when it comes down to disputable matters, that's the key here. Yes, we need to love or in the context of disputable matters, with those that are younger in the faith, we can use 1 Peter 1.22 to really crystallize the heart of Christ. We'll end with this. It says, have sincere, not fake, sincere love for your brothers or sisters. Love one another deeply, not shallow. Maybe it's from afar, but it's still deeply. You can still love from afar, right? You can love through prayer. Love one another deeply from the heart. Amen? Okay, let's pray. Lord, I just ask that you would take your words, Lord, and you would elevate them in our hearts and our minds. God, I ask that your spirit would do work as we think and meditate upon your word and the hours in the days ahead, Lord, that you would just cement these truths to us, Lord, that you would weed through our personal convictions, Lord, that we would spend that time to weigh them and to seek your heart if they're honoring to you, Lord. And God, I pray um, that we'd be mindful when we're in the presence of younger believers. We, We would keep our mouth shut if we need to. Put a guard around us, Lord. 
Give us that discernment to know when to speak and when to remain silent. But Lord, I thank you for your spirit because I know I have him to guide me. And I need you, Lord. We need you, Jesus. Bless the rest of our time. In Jesus' name, amen.